And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. And today we have an incredible interview lined up for all of you. I have a very special guest. His name is Josh Trent. And uh, me and Josh Trent have some history together. We, uh, he was a guest on my show a while back. We dove deep into his history in the holistic health field. And Josh is the founder of Wellness Force and hosted the Wellness Force radio podcast, And Josh has spent the past 15 years as a trainer, a researcher, and facilitator discovering the physical and emotional intelligence for humans to thrive in the modern world. I have so much respect for him. And coincidentally or synchronistically, we were roommates for about seven or eight months back in the Encinitas days and just kind of an interesting thing, two podcasters, two health professionals, two men on a mission to empower people through health, wellness, um, emotional intelligence, psychological mastery, that's my word, but, um, you know, really just, just to help people and also discover what is this whole thing about? You know, we are on our individual journeys. There were many parallels, many incredible conversations. And um, I've just been really excited about having Josh back on the show because um, as I've gone through my own metamorphosis and going through many dark nights of the soul, coming out as the phoenix rising from the ashes time and time again, I've also seen this man do it. Um, so I've been just really wanting to get him back on the show. And here we are. So welcome, Josh. 
Thanks so much, Ronnie. It's such a cool moment. We were talking before we recorded about our own unique journeys. I love that you started us out with that because, gosh, this thing continues to unfold and the, the pressures and the joy, the, the dark duality that we're experiencing at all times, it's, it's pretty intense right now. And I know a lot of people are feeling it. So I'm super stoked um, that I get to talk to you, man, first of all, and then also the rad people that follow you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, there's so many different directions we can go. Um, Really, what I want to dive deep into is one of the themes of your show and your work and your focus, which is physical and emotional intelligence, and really the cross connect between that. Why is that so important? And what, you know, and really, what what does that have to do with um, not just the physical experience, but you could even say our spiritual experience, our destiny on this planet? What does it mean to have physical intelligence, mental intelligence, emotional intelligence, and what's the bridge between that and our day-to-day experience? In other words, how do we use all these tools and all this information that we have on health and nutrition and personal development, and how do we actually practically (coughs) apply that to our life so we can live life well? I think that's probably the place I want to kind of, at least that's the rabbit hole I want to open up with you. That's a great, uh, it's a big question. It's a deep question too. And it's because it's such a profound multitude of answers where, you know, we all start out as young kids and we're born into the world, Ronnie, with beautiful innate intelligence, whether we're a man or woman or transgender, whoever we are, we're all born with this unique encoding, both genetically, epigenetically, and also spiritually. We're all kind of unfolding a soul contract here. So, you know, we, we are born with a tremendous amount of intelligence, Um, And this intelligence comes from a place that science, let's be honest, has not necessarily found out exactly where all of this intelligence comes from. And so we're in the process of unfolding and learning that where this intelligence actually comes from. How do we use this intelligence? And, you know, maybe it's a good time to actually like define what I believe intelligence truly is. I think in my life, and I know you can probably attest to this, true intelligence is our commitment and ability to gather and to apply the information that allows us to live this life well. And in the middle of gathering and applying, you know, some people get stuck in the gathering. Some people, all they do is apply and they never gather. It's both of those things. It's it's that duality of gathering and applying. In the middle though, in the middle is the bolts on that bridge of self-awareness. So we have these bolts that, you know, we're turning, we're constantly tightening up the bridge We're constantly reaching out to people we care about, having a podcast, exploring what this bridge actually is. And honestly, this this bridge between the knowing and the doing, this is what fascinates me the most because I'm a dork first. Like I love anything, health, wellness, supplementation, spirituality. I love it all because that's just kind of a fire that's always burned for me. I've always been curious why the hell people do what they do, me included. So this middle part, man, between the gathering and the applying, that bridge is not always clear. And I think conversations like we're about to have and my podcast and your podcast and honestly, the people that are even interested in this bridge, we're all tightening the bolts of self-awareness of who we actually are, what we're bringing to the table and how committed we are to the gathering and the applying, which put together is true intelligence. Um, that's a great starting point for us because I feel like that bridge is um, it's different for all humans. Mm, mm, be- beautiful. You know, one of the quotes that came up for me, I, I about maybe I think like 12, 13 years ago, I read a book called The Science of Getting Rich. And I think I've read that book about three or four times since then. It's by um, a great philosopher in the 1900s, um, Wallace D. Waddles. And one of the quotes that I, I read in that book that stuck with me was, wisdom is reading the mind of God. 
And I still, to this day, when I think about that, it's like, wow, you know, because to your point, you know, there's this accumulation of information and knowledge. um, But is that true wisdom? And, and then we talk about intuition and what in guttural, guttural intelligence, what's that all about? But then it's like, in my personal experience, I'm always seeking that higher intelligence, that higher wisdom that isn't coming from my manufactured thought process, my manufactured cognitive biases um, to shape reality the way that I'm comfortable with it. But what is beyond the veil that's trying to communicate with me to the, de- in the degree that I'm able to listen to it? Um, you know, and that's a long conversation of itself, but I thought that's what came up for me is like, um, you know, this idea of whatever you define as God, universal intelligence, ultimately that, that wisdom, that intelligence that we're all seeking, it's a faith walk, right. To, to receive the guidance for the next step is it's not, there is no blueprint. Like there is no, there is, I know for your journey and my journey, like whether it's the podcasting or it's embarking as a wellness entrepreneur, giving up an old life, letting the dead wood die off and then moving forward on a completely new journey. It's a faith walk. And there is this sense of being guided by something beyond the veil, if you will. And that's something that I'm always, I'm always in, in the quest of. Yeah, this beyond the veil. I'm curious how you might describe that. I think for me, the beyond the veil is something that's all knowing, all encompassing and has no conception of time. I'll never forget this moment I had with my grandpa in a hallway once I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old. And he stopped me. He's like, Josh, are you going to church? And I was like, no, grandpa, I don't like church because, you know, church couldn't like heal the people I cared about. And, And church, to me, I saw it through a lens of a lot of people suffering and kind of trying to escape suffering. Um, I don't judge religion. I don't judge faith now because I see it for really what it is. But he told me at that time, he said, you got to go to church, Josh. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because in the mind of man, man always has a beginning, middle and an end in the mind of man or in the mind of any human. But he said specifically, what if I told you that God spirit is actually having nothing to do with time? And when he said it to me, I was like 12, 13. I didn't really, it was just some really unique wisdom. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> you know, I, was, I wasn't ready to receive this wisdom, but I reflect upon that as an adult now. And I think, wow, grandpa was really smart because he brought up a point about this beyond the veil, this intelligence of which we're all trying to connect with on a continuous basis because everything is spiritual, whether it's business or relationships or, you know, podcasting, it's all spiritual. We're all kind of using this physical meat suit and whatever's behind the veil to convey the proper message. And what I got from him that relates to you and I is, wow, there might not be a concept of time when it comes to whatever energy is truly behind that veil. And if we can surrender and trust and really attune, which is a phrase that you and I have mentors that we follow, Paul Check, Dr. David Minkoff, you know, people that talk about how spirituality and how we do spirituality is a reflection of how we'll do physical and emotional and life in general. Mm. It's our practices in this, in this continuous imperfect practice of tuning in, getting grounded, doing the daily rituals, doing the meditation, doing our breath work before you and I recorded, we did box breathing. So it's how committed are we, again, going back to the beginning of the show, you know, how committed are we to, to understanding this intelligence, right? And the gathering and the applying. 
beautifully said, you know, um, another thing that came up is like God's delays are not God's denials, right? And in the mind of man or woman or human, there is this projected timeline, right? Everything has to happen on a particular timetable. We have these, these schedules and these ways of kind of conforming reality and projecting future preferred experiences to fit. Like I have a goal, for example, so it's got to happen now and I'm going to make it happen. Um, and you know, and a lot of that is just egoic ambition. And if it's not coupled with kind of that, that, that I like to use the word God force, I'm unabashed about that kind of thing, but whatever, however you want to explain that there is, it's like things don't happen on our timetable all the time. We can only do so much. And this is going to lead into the conversation that I wanted to definitely have with you, which is about anxiety and manic kind of manic anxiety, stress, fight or flight um, state that our world is very much in. I know you've had a huge bout with that. I myself too. I mean, in the last couple of years of being an entrepreneur and being a public figure, um, I never actually experienced the level of anxiousness and stress in my system that I have in the last couple of years. And it's been a journey to really uncover all those layers. And one of the things that's been really powerful for me is Everything I can do to bring me back into connection, bring me back into this present moment, bring me back into, it's actually like the the idea of God or spirit is so important for me because it helps me get out of myself. Because if it's all just me doing everything, I'm screwed because (laughs) what I've done has largely who I've been in the past has produced certain results, some, some helpful, some not. Yep. And so that tells me that there must be something else beyond me that can guide me through these challenging times. And without that, that can be a very um, stressful thing. So anyways, that's just kind of a little side perspective on yeah. that, that I think is really helpful and powerful. And uh, mm-hmm. it's really powerful because, you know, we're coming out tomorrow with an, an episode with Drew Canoli and, and I wrote an email to my list for tomorrow morning. And I basically said, we're in a crisis right now. Um, it's not about fear mongering. It's about getting to the basement of truth. Like what's really down there. And, and most people, Ronnie, like they don't. And when I say most, I, I literally mean, probably I don't have the percentages, but I guarantee you it's in the top two to three percentile that actually want to do that are actually aware of doing spiritual work, doing inner work, things like this, but we're seeing a really big shift. So it's both the, you know, Oliver twist, the best of times and the worst of times. We're, we're kind of at this point where we're seeing both of those things bubble up. And I think this crisis that we're at is that look, if you look at the data, we've never been more sick. If you look at the CDC, I think it's 67% of people are overweight or obese. We've never had more abundance There's more food and calories in the world than has ever existed, and we could feed everyone. But yet, we're in a crisis of people being silent and being comfortable and not speaking their truth about the pain that they're seeing because they're busy taking care of their daily responsibilities, paying their bills, taking care of their family. They don't have the emotional bandwidth to actually speak out the fact that they're seeing suffering and they're seeing a misappropriation. It's a misappropriation of resources and a misallocation of resources when it comes to food and, um, you know, organic farming and, and also the foodstuffs that we have. There's more than enough food to feed people in this world 10 times over, which is a lie that's perpetuated by the ivory towers that are actually showing cracks now. And then on the other side of it, there's more resources and finances and wealth in this planet than there ever has been. It's just a choice 
of a very select group of people that are choosing to not allocate resources when they absolutely could. And I'm not saying we have to be socialists or communists or even egalitarian capitalists. What I'm saying is that we're, we're coming to the head of a crisis where most people are feeling this. And if you walk around town, you, you guys know what I mean, Ronnie, you know what I mean too. It's like you see people that are just in a bit of a crisis all day long. There are the select few that have found mastery with you know resources and abundance and health. And these are the people that we're learning from. But for the far majority, for 97, 98% of the people in this world, specifically in the United States, we're coming to the head of both a personal and a societal crisis when it comes to what do we do with all this abundance and how do we figure out how we can ease the suffering of the people that aren't receiving this abundance. Mm. And that right there, that one question right there, and I don't know if we can cuss on your show, but I would love to say that one effing question. Yes. Um, the, <laughs> yes, we can. Okay. Go ahead. Um, this, this one fucking question for unlawful carnal knowledge. This one question is, I think, really what's causing the undercurrent of stress with most people. Most people that are awakened to the fact that there is suffering in this world. And I felt that since I was a little kid. And I feel like you and I are doing our part to, to ease that suffering and also to figure out how we transcend that as well. Josh, I, I, so this, this is so, this is such a perfect segue, especially for me personally, because, you know, you mentioned a lot of us that are awakened to the suffering and the plight of the world around us. And one of the challenges that a lot of us can have is that we can be within a silent epidemic within ourselves. We can actually be suffering silently, Mm -hmm. especially if we are public figures, especially if we are, especially health educators. It's like, we really like, we can be the worst critics of ourselves. And one of the challenges that I've had that I've been working through is this feeling that there's not enough time. The future is, um, it's improbable. You know, there's a fatalistic component to it. And then there's this third prong stress that's been on my back, almost like carrying this invisible cross. I felt it since I was a little kid. I never had a father in my life. And I, so there was a void that I didn't even, I didn't know about. I didn't even know how important that missing link was to my maturity as a young man and my connection with the feminine, my connection to my own heart. And now it's all coming to a head. And one of the things that's been challenging for me is getting that damn cross off my back. And it's like, it's this feeling that I'm not doing enough. And it's like, no matter how much I affect through messages and through the work I do, there's always this little lingering sense that I could do more or I'm not doing enough. And I'm curious your perspective on this. Like how, how have you, how have you moved through that? Well, I would say that this is an unfolding process because I have done shadow work. I've done inner work, just like I think a lot of people who are tuning in most likely have as well. Yet we also know that maybe the little piece you're talking about, that little voice, that little person inside of us, um, it could be a protector. And I was told this by a guest on the show, Andrew Dingagorio, where we talked about luminous awareness. And we talked about how that thing that comes up that tells you you're stressed out, you should eat something, Um, you need to do more, you're not caring enough, whatever that voice is, it's trying to actually test you. Very similar, you and I can relate to this, and um, I think most men can relate to this. The feminine tests the masculine, but not because she's trying to hurt the masculine or poke at the masculine. It's because that's her innate right, and that's her way of being here on the planet. And I think that the way that the feminine receives safety from the masculine by consciously or subconsciously testing the masculine 
to, to give her that grounded space is the same way that our protector tests you and I, tests us on this unfolding journey of, do I have the intelligence? Do I have the wherewithal? Do I have the will? Am I connected to my heart? Have I done my work? Have I done my practices? Am I prepared for this moment? A big one is addiction. You know, Gabor Mate talks about the hungry ghosts that are inside of us and how the opposite of addiction is human connection. So if we want to have a society that's less addicted, we get to focus less on opiates and pills, which is masking and band-aiding that shit. And really what we have is dialogue like this, where you ask me a profound question of how do I move through the cross that might be on my back, you know, or yourself. And the reason I laugh is because it's not funny, but I think laughter and breathing and conversation and connection and physical practice, physical intelligence, um, and the expression of it all. I think just the fact that we even talk about it alleviates the weight and the pressure of it being there just to speak it into existence, right? And this is what holds people back. And my journey around this has been, do I choose to go to a dark place when I'm in the darkness of my soul, when having the dark night of the soul? Or in that darkness of the soul, do I have the sharpened intuition when I'm experiencing the darkness of the soul to breathe through it? to know that this too shall pass and to call a friend, to reach out to my community, to do a podcast. I mean, whatever it is, it's because when we're not breathing and we're feeling like the weight of the world or the weight of a cross or the weight of depression or the weight of something is, is, is killing us or, or stifling us, yeah. it's because we're not expressing it out into the world. The opposite of depression is expression. Yeah. So if we're, feeling ex- if we're feeling depressed, it's because something is either about to be expressed or it's not allowing itself to be expressed. And that's the challenging part because the society in this world, it's not set up for us to express. Ever since we're little kids, um, we are taught to sit in a structured chair, color inside of lines, not chase the dream of being a musician or a podcaster or an actor or an expression person for life. We're, we're taught to quell those emotions and that quelling of that emotion and that depression and lack of expression is what leads us to not live fulfilled lives. And then people that don't live fulfilled lives, they start to not really give a shit about the suffering of others. So you see how this all unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, very, very <clears throat> well put. Um, you know, this kind of makes me want to dive a little bit deeper into your your experience in Seal Fit with um, the program that you did with Mark Devine. Because you know, I just, I just, you know, when we were living together, I know that you were going through a preparation to go through this experience, and um, you know, it reminded me very much of when I had my first uh, my first degree black belt test when I was like maybe twenty twenty one years old, and we went through this like fifty day or not fifty day fifty hour straight sleep deprivation, thousand pushups, thousand sit ups, thousand, like 10 different thousand things of a thousand. Um, and then, you know, like, and then all kinds of other crazy stuff that we won't go into brick. <laughs> it sounds challenging. Yeah. Breaking bricks while you're sleep deprived and like, holy shit. And what was crazy for me just on that, what made it really challenging, but also very empowering was I was one of the head instructors of the school. So we had a lot of our students there. And so I was challenged because I couldn't faint. Like I couldn't break composure because I had my students looking up to me, but at the same time, I, you know, it was, it was excruciatingly difficult. And I hadn't thought about that experience until I saw this recent video Mm. that other people can check out too of, of that video that you did of the, of that whole experience. And I never saw that full video until 
before this interview and it really triggered something in me. I actually felt that, that like excitement, that soul expression, excitement of like what that kind of experience can be like. But I also felt that trepidation of like, Oh man, like, and that's the thing we go through in life, right? Like that, that we know something is going to push us beyond our edge and we don't even know what our edge is. And we know it's going to be extremely difficult, but we also know that at some point we have to jump off the edge. We have to go. And uh, so I want to, I want to hand that over to you. Mm-hmm. Man, the, uh, the ledge, <laughs> the <laughs> ledge, man, it's the fearing of the flinch, isn't it? I, I've been feeling this phrase a lot lately, the, the fear of the flinch. We're, we're not necessarily afraid of what might happen when we jump off the cliff. Mm-hmm. I think all of us are most afraid of what might happen in the split second that we decide that we're going to leave the cliff, that fear of the flinch, that, that moment of indecision, you know? And like, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us can relate to speaking on a stage or I don't know, I, I interview people on the show and they'll say when they're done, I was so nervous. And I'm like, I know it's because you care. Whenever we really care about something, we get nervous and nervousness is really just excitement wearing a different shirt. So we're like nervous about something. It's because we really fucking care about something. And that's a beautiful thing. You know, it's actually when people aren't nervous about something, I wonder if they really care. I wonder if someone really cares if they're not nervous because it tells me that their nervous system isn't really giving that space or this upcoming threshold the respect that it deserves. Their nervous system isn't really preparing for it. And so anyways, I, I felt this threshold coming through for seal fit because I had interviewed Mark divine in the podcast. I was so inspired with his work and and with unbeatable mind and everything that they're doing there um, that I decided to do it because of this inner knowing this question, this curiosity of like, I wonder if I could do that. Cause you know, the whole thing was a a 20 X and 20 X is an overnight where you start at eight in the morning and you finish at like noon the next day. It's a 14 hour crucible and you're doing Navy SEAL training. So we're literally, we get there. My name is written on my white shirt and black lettering. Everybody's kind of nervous, but everybody's trying to be nice. Like, what's up, bro? Like, just <laughs> trying to be really cool about it. And, and we're standing there. And all of a sudden, this huge truck comes in. And this guy in a loudspeaker says, how many people in your group? Get down, drop down, give me 20. They didn't even tell us it was starting. Like they surprised, they shocked us with it starting. And right then I knew I was like, oh shit, this is going to be way harder than I thought it was going to be. Cause I had trained physically and I had done box breathing and I had read the book and I thought I was prepared. But I think in that moment, I really started to fear the flinch. I started to fear like, holy shit, what did I sign up for? Like, is this, is this really supposed to happen right now? Am I supposed to do this? And um, what happened in the next 14 hours was so monumental because as I think I've shared with you before, or maybe I haven't. I I think that really I was able to suffer and then go to a place outside of my suffering and be there for the people that were suffering with me. And I think that relates to every single action that life gives us, every choice that life gives us, because as a parent, as a mother or father or a business owner, or just a human fucking being in this world, we're constantly met with these 20x type thresholds of, wow, I'm experiencing an incredible amount of stress right now, or I'm having financial hardship, or I've lost someone that I care about. It's that moment where the flinch has passed, we're starting to experience the fear, or or the joy, by the way, because sometimes after that flinch moment comes joy. That's really what makes up who we are. Like That's what makes up our strength of character, our strength of, of human being, is the way that we allow ourselves to act the way that we choose to act 
in a moment like that. And so they, they call it the physical crucible because um, all things really start with the body, right? Our body is our subconscious mind. And in that subconsciousness, we get messages that are efferently and afferently transferred to our limbic brain, our amygdala, our frontal cortex. Like that's where everything occurs is our body and our brain are constantly talking. So when I was experiencing suffering in the 20X, my body and my brain were both saying, get the fuck out of here. You're not supposed to be doing this. And I thought about quitting a lot and and some people do quit, right? And so for me, it, it started out as a pride thing of like, wow, I wonder I wonder if this could actually heal some of the some of the darkness that I felt in my life. I wonder if this could actually heal some of the incessant monkey mind that keeps me up late at night and makes me worry about money and makes me worry about things. And it did something far greater. What it showed me is that I never am actually going to escape the protector that we talked about before, the one that gives us the stress, the one that constantly is trying to test us, much like the feminine. And really what the 20X showed me is that my life is going to be filled with challenges filled with 20x type things. And in those moments, in those flashpoints, can I be there for my teammates? Can I be there for my wife, my husband, if, if that's your forte? Can I be there for my kids if you're a parent? Can I be there for something that I totally believe in, like a business or, or an entrepreneurial path that really is so challenging that I want to quit in this moment? And can I connect to the love of why I'm doing it in the first place? Can I connect to that love? Because love for your teammates is what allows you to transcend a physical crucible like the 20X. It's not a love for the self. It's a love for the teammates. And then in receiving the reciprocity of that love for your teammates, well, then you're really bathing yourself in self-love because you've transcended the selfish ego that says, this is too hard. You should stop. You're a pussy. Keep going harder, whatever, whatever. All this incessant chatter that has nothing to do with our heart and our soul has no place for them on the battlefield or for you and I in regular everyday life. Man, it's so, so well said once again. I mean, it's like, I remember when I did that, that um, boot camp, what got me through it was, you know, being a role model, you know, being a model for what's possible. It wasn't about me. It was like, there was nothing in me that was going to stop. And even when my legs were, were, we're shaking from a thousand sit-ups and all the other crazy stuff we did. And then we had to go run two miles and I had this and we had to do like a thousand, you know, um, those knee ups where you, you're, 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 uh, I can't do it on the, on video, but oh, the flutter kicks. Yeah. The flutter kicks. Yeah. You're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're hopping up and down. We had to do a thousand of those in a swamp. It was like, it was, you know, this is like after I thought, okay, we're it's, it's downhill from there. And then they're like, okay, get in this little swampy, thing in your in your in your uh uniform and then do a thousand of these and then after that one of the 10 year olds his legs went out and it was like there's no way i'm gonna stop so i put him on my back and walked him two miles back to the to the dojo Mm. and it's like and it's like there was just a sense of responsibility right there was a sense and it was beyond my mind it was beyond any kind of ego or identity there's a sense of like divine responsibility like if i can i must and I can, therefore I must. And I, and it's, it's, it wasn't about me. If it was about me, I would have quit. I wouldn't even gone through a hundred of what, you know, all those things I would have quit early. Cause you know, why, why put yourself through this pain? 
was that a Kokoro? I think the 50 hours is what they do for Silfit. They do a 50 hour, no sleep, constant training, showering you in cold water, throwing dirt at you. Like was yours 50 hours? Was it a Kokoro type training? It, it, I don't, I don't, I never heard that term before, but it was, um, our, our, our Taekwondo master was trained, um, in the Korean military. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so it was very militaristic. Yeah. For sure. It sounds like it, man. But that's where we're forged, isn't it? Th- those spaces, and a lot of people, they're very, they're very neck up, and that's fine. The world needs people that are neck up. But I think what you and I have bonded on in our creation process together is the connection of the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the awareness and the work and the strength of both of these things, physically and emotionally strong, means that we're giving both of them attention and a lot of times I've found is that when people get known for being more neck up, like people that are scientists or speakers or healers, they go through somewhat of a physical crucible. And I'm, I'm kind of in that right now. You know, I'm, I'm carrying probably 15 pounds more than I'm comfortable with. And so I've, I've had a lot of big hits from the universe lately, um, almost, almost dying recently, actually, up in Mount Whitney and had pulling my tearing my gastroc on my calf and getting hand, foot and mouth disease, all of these messages from spirit that's saying, slow down, my friend, slow down. And so I'm, I'm finally listening where I'm just noticing, like, I, I really haven't been craving as much animal flesh as I usually have. Mm-hmm. I really haven't been craving as many calories as I usually have. And it's because I've slowed my nervous system down. I still get stressed. I still remind myself to breathe. I'm just like everyone else in this world creating. Um, but I've just been aware of these as I allow my physical intelligence to rise. A lot of the practices when it comes to me being in my physical body and feeling comfortable in my own skin, loving my own skin, it's my awareness of the things that used to light me up, things that used to pacify, they don't work anymore. Food, porn, incessant scrolling on the phone. Um, dating people I know I shouldn't be dating. All of these things don't, don't do the salve job that they used to mm. because I'm in the process of discovering my greatest self, just like everyone is. We're all discovering our greatest selves. We might be like somewhere on the path along the way, but I kind of went off topic there. I just, I just had to say that because, man, this is, the, this is the definite unfolding of this conversation and our learning journey. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did. I, one of the things I really love about you is your raw vulnerability and your authenticity, but there's a power, there's such a power in it because you're just such a great articulator and speaker and communicator. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's interesting, you know, you and me are in an interesting position because we both are used to being interviewed, but we both are interviewing other people, which is a very unique thing. Not very many people even most podcasters aren't typically on the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of gives, it kind of gives you a more of a circumference of worldview, like to kind of, you kind of get a feel for what the collective is going through. You kind of get a feel of like, obviously your own experience, but then it, there's this refinement of your ability to actually communicate these hard to articulate or describe Um, kind of things, which I think is really, really a powerful thing. It just reminds me right now in this moment, as we're talking about all this of like, that, that angst, that, that, you know, if you want to call it the cross or whatever, that pressure, it's almost, it's like an existential pressure is what it is. And it's like, I can either fold underneath it and check out, which is what a lot of people do. Or I can, 
I can strengthen myself to bear the burden of being a superhero, right? I can actually take on my own superhero mythology and bear the burden. I, that's why I like Jordan Peterson, his, his language. He talks about, you know, like suffering is non-negotiable. It's a given. What are you going to do with the hand that gets dealt to you? Are you going to actually derive meaning from it and bear the responsibility and help people? Or are you just yeah. going to fold? Mm-hmm. He's so good, man. And I love the way that he talks about we are beasts of burden. You know, we are, we are, we're half beast and we're half spirit. So the way that you have conversations on the show is in respect to both of those. And the fact that we are beasts of burden, which I definitely connect with, and I connect with a lot of Peterson's work, because I think right now, just to touch on something we were talking about earlier, is that there is somewhat of a shaking of the almond tree when it comes to men and women and the way that we love or hate or just interact with each other in general. And right now, when we look at the evolution of man and woman, woman and man, or even any gender, right? Um, we're seeing that the ways of being from the past don't work anymore. They're failing miserably. And I think to comment on your, your beast analogy and like how we have this burden, I think our largest burden right now is being aware that we're actually fighting one another so much that it's dropping and it's killing our capacity to take on more of the burden for the collective. In other words, the war of the sexes only perpetuates because men and women choose to make it a war. We can choose to put down the weapons and the shields. We can choose to do it right now. But what we have is the media spotlighting Kavanaugh, spotlighting this dialogue, whipping women into a frenzy, into a hateful frenzy where they're going out and they're experiencing emotional contagion from any woman that's ever even had her knee touched. And I'm probably going to get slack for this, but I, I care deeply about how women are treated. I care deeply about my mom. I care deeply about all the women in my life. They never get to be disrespected ever. It's just not, it's not possible for me to even conceptualize that in my mind or in the people that I, that I know in their minds, but I am also not stupid. I know it's happening in the world. And so how do we have a war of the sexes that's lower, that's a not, not a war anymore, and apply more of that chi, more of that energy to us having a we too movement instead of a me too? Because right now, me too is us versus them. It's women versus men. And it, even women now are, are saying a lot on social, and I get, I get a lot of flack for this because I've done episodes on this topic. Um, women right now are experiencing what Eckhart Tolle calls the pain body. For so many millennia, Ronnie, women were owned like property, you know, and it was terrible, the treatment of women. And, and, and it's still possible now that women are completely, it's not possible, it's happening. It's not that it's not possible, it's completely happening. Women are still treated in a poor way by men. Yet, being angry and trying to fight one another about it and trying to put a man... that we deserve as a collective, as men and women together, what it takes for this. And I hope I didn't go too off topic here. It's just kind of hitting right. a decision that we're going to take that M in me too. And we're going to turn that to a we too. We're going to do it together. Yeah. 
then listen more. Then we take that energy from women being angry and whipping up into a frenzy and we soothe and calm that down and we hear what they have to say. And then once we hear what they have to say, we make a, de- a joint decision together as to where to go forward and where to move forward next. Right now, you know, what we see is there's a lot of fifth and even sixth wave feminists out there that they just want to continue to whip people into a frenzy. And that's not doing us any, any good. That's not going to perpetuate love. And, and that's not going to move me too into we too. I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because when we talk about the underlining stress and even the existential anxiety that's being felt throughout the collective, this is what's being brought up to the surface. This is one of the main conversations. So we can't pretend or co- co- um, color it or, or sugarcoat is the word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah. We have to be honest about it and we need both perspectives represented, both authentic, empowered, non-biased perspectives represented that, hey, look, women go through pain, men go through pain. What that That's actually a humongous commonality because biologically we're actually very different. Yeah. Hormonally, we're very different. Psychologically mm-hmm. and emotionally, we're very different. But what actually binds us together is the commonality of the pain and the suffering that the human experience has embedded inside of it. So what do we do? Do we create division, separation? Do we buy into the mainstream propaganda? You know, by the way, when they were doing that whole that whole thing that you mentioned, guess what they unrolled out? 5G. That's what they do. They create yes. these mainstream narratives every time. They did it with vaccines. They did it with all these different things. And underneath, while people are so emotionally agitated and distracted, they they unroll a, um, a tool of devastation underneath yep. it. That's That's the theme I've seen. So, you know, it's, it's like so true, Ronnie. It's so true, man. I'm just listening to you nodding my head because this is when all the policies are made. This is when all the radical decisions that are going to affect millions of people, if not the world, when there's the guise of the puppeteers taking an issue that's valid, that deserves attention and exacerbating that issue to a point where it's so much in people's consciousness and it's being stuffed down their throats that there's nothing else to energetically focus on. Yet there is, it's just not the narrative. Right. Right. And, and so it's like, that's obviously a conversation in of itself, but to bring it back to this point of like, how do we come together? Cause that's really the conversation. Like men and men need to support each other. Women and women need to support each other. Women and men need to support each other because it's a crazy world and none of us have the roadmap. None of us know what to do because to your point, all the old structures, all the old paradigms, all the old um, ways of identification are being stripped and dissolved. So it's like, we're actually on a frontier of, you know, uh, of an emerging paradigm that's never actually existed before. Yes. So that means yes. like we better band together because none of us really know what's going to happen. But if we pull our energy together and we group our energy and our effort and our dreams and our visions and our aspirations, and we can come together in a realistic way and support one another, then we can also unify on a vision that works for everybody. And that's, that's really what I want to see. You know, the, the native Americans, I, I loved the way that they interacted in their tribes. And I think we can learn so much from the native Americans. Um, and I believe that one of the biggest words that we got from them was intimacy, intimacy into me, you see into me, you see, and what we need right now, what gets to happen is that, there's more intimacy with our emotions. There's more intimacy with people. Going back to the cross you bore, like when I was a kid, I always wondered like, why aren't people more intimate? <laughs> Ever since I was super young, as long as I can remember, I was like, 
why aren't people talking about things that actually matter? And like, why aren't people actually intimate? It's because it goes back to that cycle of pain. And so when we look at this Me Too, We Too, the collective uprising and this new complete kind of wild, wild west that you talked about, it's the wild, wild west right now to be a single man. It's also the wild, wild west right now to be an empowered, feminine, embodied woman, right? So it's the wild, wild west for both of us. So can we take a breath together? Can we seriously just take a damn breath and come to the table and have an offering of truth? Can we take a breath, come to the table and have an offering of truth? And can men, can men have the, the fortitude and the presence to listen to what these women are saying, to give them a voice, yeah. but also to know when the emotional frenzy and the whipping of emotional contagion that Gretchen Rubin talks about is out of hand because all of us can get carried away by this beast inside of us. And I'm not saying that women being upset about Me Too is wrong. I'm saying that's totally fucking valid. But I do believe that there is a point where that anger, that pain, that frustration reaches a point of diminishing returns. And so there's this balance between us as men and women, both respecting and, and acknowledging that we're seeing the Me Too unfold. We're seeing it shift into the M to the W and the We Too. But along the way, can we constantly check in with our breath and constantly check in with ourselves to make sure that we're still at that table, we're still taking a breath together, and we're still giving an offering of truth, and we're not completely in a guise of our physical nervous system that's telling us to continue to be angry and that everybody's suffering and that men are the worst and that men need to be castrated. It's like, whoa, let's take a, let's take a breath here. You know, we're in this together. It's the wild, wild west, baby. Let's get on the horse. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole unpacking. There's, I have a whole lot of thoughts about that, but I mean, really, I think, you know, to the, to the ultimate, the ultimate um, point of practicality to all this, it's like, you know, what do we do individually first for our own self and our own life and our own integration? How do we, how do we get clear with what's going on inside this operating system? So we're not going off that deep end, right? Like if I have a lot of repressed trauma or pain inside of me, the unconscious has to become conscious. And as you said, the mind is really the, the subconscious, the unconscious manifesting itself in a very variety of different ways in the nervous system, in the, the muscular tissue. And if it's too agitated and repressed and hasn't been dealt with, it's going to be expressed unconsciously in very destructive ways. And mm. I think that's really, that's really from an individualistic perspective, that's really the healing conversation that I'm trying to have with people is to understand you know, how do you, how do you work with yourself? And then, then maybe it goes beyond the individual to like, I need support. I need to actually use my voice and ask for support and receive support. And then we start to create that, that dialectic. We start to create that harmonization with our fellow man, with our fellow woman in our relationships, whatever the case may be. Yeah. You know, because that dragon that's inside that dragon that has that fire it's important to know how to harness the fire so you can alchemize your reality. You can turn lead into gold. But if that fire is immature, like a petulant child, and, it, and it's just, it's been repressed for so long, that fire can burn down a relationship. That fire can burn down a house and uh, can create ir- irreparable, um, you know, afflictions. And that, that's what I'm very sensitive to because I've experienced that. And, um, you know, I'm sure many of us have. So I think the dragon you talk about is kind of why the hero's journey exists, man. You know, and, and this conversation you and I are having 
50 years from now, if the records are kept, which I'm sure they will be in some form, even in a water hard drive or something, um, I think people will look back on this conversation in 50 years and they'll say, wow, this was such a challenging yet incredibly beautiful time Mm. to be a human fucking being Mm. on this planet. Because look at where we came from, my friend. Look at where we came from. We came from a thousand years ago, people being tortured in public and people cheering for the death of another human being. We came from women not being able to vote and women being owned like property to now women being CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. Look at where we've come from. And so, no, it's not the worst of times. It's the best of times, but it's also the worst of times because now that we've had this expanded capacity of what's possible as a human race, we've tasted that sweet fruit of complete and utter possibility where there's so much that men and women can do together. We're still hanging on to Eckhart Tolle's pain body though. We're still hanging on to that pain body and that pain body gets to be expressed. It gets to be talked about. And if anybody watching this or or listening to this is is triggered by this, I invite you to write comments because if you're feeling it like we are, then you know that it's being felt by hundreds of thousands and millions of people that don't want to express it, that don't want to speak their truth. We get to have this conversation multiplied in a fractal, you know, million part mirror from sacred geometry, man. We get to have this expanded as far as this conversation can go because without the expansion of the conversation, the evolution doesn't happen, you know, and then technology is going to do whatever it's going to do and we're going to be slaves to the technology. So Mm. it takes you and I, you know, going to places where I'm like probably going to receive some negative comments from this, but you know what? At least I'm putting my fist in the air. At least I'm taking a stand for something. At least you're holding a space where you're having a conversation about something that you care about. And to that, I say, I say hell yes to that because at least we're having the conversation, which a lot of people aren't even willing to step out of that comfort zone. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's invaluable. I mean, it's indescribable how invaluable this kind of conversation is, how needed it is. And, you know, you, you raised your arm and I saw that tattoo on your arm and I know I wanted to um, ask you about that. I know what it means, but I wanted you to talk about that because oh. it has deep meaning in there. Yeah. Uh, I would say since I could remember, I was, uh, I never really knew how to breathe. I always felt a lot of anxiety in life. Um, multiple people in my family have taken medications for this. And so I wondered if it was epigenetics that I struggle with anxiety, but I realized that it was just my heart trying to poke through the blackness that this world. And unfortunately my parents, um, did the best they could. I absolutely love my parents. You know, I, I love my mom and dad for bringing me to this world and they're beautiful souls and they're dealing with what they're dealing with just like we all are. But when I was small and and all throughout my adolescence and even in my twenties and early thirties, anxiety was a big piece. It was this constant conversation of how do I, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? How do I fix it? And when I started to really go into the breath and the plants and this podcast and, and talking and having friends like you, I started to realize that there's nothing to fucking fix. I don't need to fix anything. Really, I just get to remember to breathe. And if I can remember to breathe, then I can choose. I can choose what I do next. So, so this is supposed to respirare, posso scegliere, which in Italian means if I can breathe, I can choose. And that's really the one tool that all of us have, man. Everyone, everyone can shift and get more vagal tone and, and pull over to the parasympathetic nervous system and get more rest and digest if we just do six deep breaths. Abby Marcus talked about this recently. Um, there's been a lot of research around this too. Six deep breaths is what we have at all times. It's what we have 
in any moment. And I'm almost, I'm getting kind of emotional just thinking about it right now. Cause I'm just remembering like, Oh yeah, if I just, if I just remind myself to breathe, like everything will be fine. If I can just remember to breathe. Yeah. And, um, I think that's how I've gotten through it, man. And I think that that'll be a guidepost for my whole life. Hmm. I, I love that because yeah. it's, it's so true, right? Like if you can breathe, you can choose. And then if you have choice, then you have choice. You can choose which particular department of the nervous system you want to be on the fight or flight or the parasympathetic. If yeah. you wanted to, and, and that's in, that's, I know we don't have tons of time, but that's an interesting perspective too. returning back to Joe Dispenza's work and then looking at the autonomic nervous system and realizing that this is a very entrainable thing. If my nervous system has been entrained in a sympathetic overload and there's a chronic stress fatigue syndrome burrowing in my system, it must have got um, imprinted there somehow, right? The, so that means it's pro, there's a program running in my operating system. Therefore, I yeah. must be capable of... Um, Op, you know, adopting a new software program, upgrading the operating system, I must be able to re-entrain my nervous system to operate with peace, love, joy, harmony, ease, etc., etc. Life must not have to be as difficult as I've made it because my operating system is dictated by the struggle and the suffering in the crisis to get me to act. Maybe mm. I don't need that. Maybe like Paul check says, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis to wake you up. <laughs> then maybe I just need to re re attune my nervous system. I'd like for you to speak to that for a moment and, and any practices that you found particularly valuable. Ronnie, I love talking to you, man. I think that what we're at in this conversation is, is we've, we've expressed something that is causing many people that watch this and the people that they care about depression, sadness, and pain. And so how do we shift from the depression and the sadness and the pain and the heaviness of this growth process? We do it by getting back into the body. Now, look, we've all heard this before. Like we've all heard, Hey, if you want to ease the suffering of yourself, get out of your head and get into your body. You know, Tony Robbins says, if you're in your head, you're dead. And that's true. Because if you're living your life neck up and everything's always just like, oh my gosh, how am I going to take care? How am I going to figure it out? Your job isn't to figure it out. The universe is not going to give you the perfect blueprint to figure it out. And the more that you chase trying to figure it out, the more that the universe is going to not give you <laughs> the blueprint to figure it out. Mm. Because all that it's receiving is a message that you want to figure it out. So it's just going to give you more of the message of you wanting to figure it out. So the way that we stop figuring it out and the way that we tune back in and we literally almost like I'm thinking of Excalibur, you know, like the sword, the sword and the stone, the way that we get back with the sword and the stone is to get into our diaphragm, to get into our belly. You know, we come from a woman's womb and we're birthed from our mother's womb into this world. That's where all life originates from is the womb of civilization. And so if we can put our hands on our belly and practice our breath work, can we attune ourselves? This is the ultimate challenge. Can we, can we attune ourselves that when stress arises or when the monkey mind tells us that we have to figure it out, can we put our hands on our belly? Can we put our hands on women, their hands on their womb, men on their belly? And can we breathe? And can we tell ourselves that in stress, we trust ourselves to go back to our breath? In stress, we trust ourselves to go back to our breath because we can't figure out the stress all times. And if we try to figure out the stress, 
we're going to forget to breathe. And I'm not saying that we just have to be Shangri-La and like float around with a white cape and never figure out anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, you know what I'm talking about when there's something that you just, you can't get to, you're hitting a brick wall. That's the universe telling you to slow down. And I'm learning this right now in this current year, put your hands on your belly, close your eyes, drop deep into your basement of truth, go back to what's real for you. When you open your eyes, when you come back from your breathing, the stress will still be there, but you will be different. You will have taken loving ownership to collect the evidence inside you that you can handle the stress in a different way. You will have loved yourself. You will have done a self-love practice. So I think the biggest self-love practice is breathing. And of course, we can always get through breathing by taking a walk. I, I walk all the time throughout the day. I jump on a trampoline, <laughs> you know, to get, to get my blood flowing. We're all doing a great job and everyone watching this is doing a great job too. And you can do an even better job. You're loved and perfect where you are. And you can do an even better job if you're aware of these self-love and self-care practices that usually most likely get you back in tune with your breath. Beautifully said, my friend. Wow. What an incredible conversation. One of many. I'm glad that this one was recorded. I know. This is one of like 15 that we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, by the way, when we were watching that Buckminster Fuller documentary that one night, we both had that major breakthrough. Yes. Buckminster Fuller is like, I think really the reason why Neurohacker exists, you know, qualia. That's like why they exist, man, because of this um, tensegrity model where everything's connected. You know, we truly are connected. That was such an interesting moment because I think we both had a breakthrough understanding, wow, Buckminster Fuller, he actually uses the law of attraction and he did it in such a huge scale that it made the law of attraction really start to take eyes from other leaders. I think he... And Buckminster Fuller, Napoleon Hill, Wallace Waddles, all these, all these people. And, and, and it, I think they really just started, started to spark this law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that unfold more and more. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many beautiful things that can be said. I think it's one of the, one of the interesting things about that, too, is, is, you know, the faith muscle. Right. And it's like Dr. Uh, Matt Kreinheider in one of our recent interviews, you know, he talked about this transition from the physical to the the non-physical and really the mystic archetype is about living in both worlds. You, you don't discard the physical and go kind of airy fairy, new age kind of into that world, but you have to have your pulse on both what's going on in the spirit world, the invisible realm, and how can I make the invisible visible by keeping my pulse on what's going on over here in the known, the known and the unknown and dancing in both of those. And a lot of times the decisions that we have to make with our life and, you know, whether we have to leave a relationship or we have to transition into something that we don't know what it's going to be, but we feel the call to action, you know, like you mentioned the hero's journey. And then it's like, how, how have I strengthened that faith muscle? Because then it, it goes from like analytics up here. Cause that's all in the past. We can only remember based on the past. So if we're going to embark on a new journey, then, you know, it's really faith in action that, that, and, and it's like almost like a GPS system. Like life has its own built in GPS system. It's like, Oh, I missed my turn. Oh, that's fine. Oh, I made a mistake. Yeah. You know, I mistakes. Oh, well it's going to keep rerouting you until, and trying to get you over there. So it's like, you can't really make enough mistakes to avoid your destiny or to, to take you off course from your destiny. All life will bring you back when you're ready to uh, take that faithful, that faithful step. Mm. Yeah. They're, they're actually, 
the mistake thing, it's just such a temporary state. And I don't, I don't even know if that word, I think when that word was created mistake, I think it was everything we speak about comes from Latin. I almost feel like that applied to a world from our ancient past, the mistake, like, Oh, so-and-so took a wrong path and they died. (laughs) Well, it's like, right. That's a mistake, you know, (laughs) in our current world, um, I think mistakes are just another word for progress because when you make a mistake, it's not the mistake that was wrong. It's, it's what you choose to do after the mistake. It's that little flip going going back, going back to our fear of the flinch moment. It's like, well, okay, you made a choice that gave you a result that wasn't optimal. And then after that non-optimal result, are you willing to look with inside yourself and make a different choice next time? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's not a mistake, man. I think you're right. Yeah, Michael Beckwith says it's a mistake. Yeah, so I like that. Oh, you drank the coffee or you drank the sugar or you had the, the, the candy or whatever your thing is. It's like, oh, it's the end of the world. No, it's actually, no, you go to sleep and you, you can reset. You can start over. Yeah. You can make a new choice. And you, um, can, avoid, you can avoid the shame spiral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, if you want to call it a mistake, that would be the only thing I would say is a mistake is to, to get wrapped up in that whole rigmarole. Yeah, man. Um, Josh Trent, this has been absolutely amazing. This has been incredible for me in this moment. You've uplifted me to new heights. Um, I know my audience just is going to get so much out of this and I appreciate your rawness, your vulnerability, your heroic courage to speak your truth and, uh, to speak it so powerfully. Where can everybody find out more about you and your incredible podcast, which I listen to regularly? Man, you're, you're making me feel so great. And I uh, truly appreciate and I just want to acknowledge you for making this happen, you know, following up and caring so deeply about the message that you bring to your community. Like it means a lot that we created this together. And honestly, this has been a very cathartic interview for me. And I think a lot of people listening and, and you created that space, man. So if people are interested in this dialogue continuing, um, beyond your show. And I think our audiences probably would get along quite a bit. Um, yeah. You can go yeah. to wellness force, you know, it's wellnessforce.com or here on, on Facebook, we have a group. And then we also have the podcast wellness force radio. It's wellness force everywhere. And um, we're talking about this discovering in the, of the physical and the emotional intelligence so we can live our life. Well, that's why we're here, man, is to live our life. Well, Absolutely. Fully agree. That is why we're here. That's why I do what I do. And uh, yeah, my pleasure. Glad we made it happen. And uh, just thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.